Hi everyone, I'm Megan Germanson. And I'm Ethan Kazada, and you're listening to In the Know, a podcast by the Minnesota Daily. On Monday, hundreds of protesters gathered in downtown Minneapolis for the first day of the trial against former Minneapolis police officer Derek Chauvin. As the jury selection began inside the courthouse, outside, activists demonstrated in front of a barricaded government center. In today's episode, we spoke with local Minneapolis activists to learn how they're preparing for the Derek Chauvin trial and to learn what it was like for them on the trial's opening day. Jay Yates is an organizer with Twin Cities Coalition for Justice for Jamar, a group that came together after the 2015 police killing of Jamar Clark. I spoke with Jay last week to find out how Justice for Jamar is preparing. I think we feel as like prepared as you can like be for like something that's going to have like national attention. Um, we have, uh, I think, events planned for the duration of the trial. Um, but right now, honestly, we're focusing a lot on like just trying to get like access um, during that first day because the city is already um, putting up all kinds of barricades um, and barbed wire. <laughs> I'm wondering, you know, is there even an outcome that could give a sense of like, you know, not peace, but but uh, a desired outcome that could come out of this trial? Yeah. Wow, that's such a hard question. <laughs> um, I think I think that like the best case, I feel like it's I feel like it's not even like desired outcomes at this point. I feel like it's like best and worst case scenarios, um, which sounds really like hardcore and like dark, but I think that like because, because it's not clear if the other officers will ever face any consequences that that I think that like this does sort of feel I don't know maybe not like the one shot but like there is that like possibility that like the other officers like won't be charged at all um, or not charged like they won't like actually go to trial um so I think that like for us and I guess to even speak for like myself like the best case scenario is like Chauvin like act like a police officer finally faces like jail time for like murdering someone but like that's literally never happened and so except for one time and that was when a white woman got murdered. Here Jay is referencing Mohammed Noor a Black former MPD officer who was sentenced to prison in 2019 for shooting and killing Justine Ruschek. Ruschek was a white woman who called 911. Nor was the first police officer in Minnesota to be convicted of murder for his actions on duty. So it's like, I don't know, It's it feels like, I don't know, overly optimistic maybe to be like, well, yeah, like this will be the time. But it's also like, if there is going to be a time that that happens, it would be now, wouldn't it? With all of this momentum behind finally having like officers face consequences for their actions, I guess. Within your own community, how are people preparing mentally and emotionally for this sort of like trial that, you know, is so high profile and will be live broadcast and all of that? 
I mean, honestly, I think for a lot of us in TCC for Jake, like kind of snuck up on us. Like, so like, I think there is a little bit of that, oh God, like it's already here. And then I think there's a lot of like, I don't know, almost like, I feel like fatigue around preparing for like these like <laughs> big historic events. Um, but like, yeah, I feel, I feel like fatigue is like, the word that's like coming to mind of like living through like multiple traumatic major historical events in a row um in a way that I don't feel like is happened in America in a while like where it's like every single thing that happens is like bad and terrible <laughs> and like people just have to like continue to like anticipate it and like prepare so I guess to answer that question like I don't know if people in my community or myself have really been like <laughs> engaging in any sort of like healthy coping or preparation I think people are just kind of like yep here we go like I'm gonna I guess like update my will again like I don't know like <laughs> On the street, there are protests unfolding against police brutality and the systemic racism that's tied to it. Meanwhile, despite race being at the center of this trial and many other police brutality cases, it isn't typically something that's explicitly acknowledged in court. Last summer, I spoke with Abigail Sarah. She's a practicing attorney and a commissioner on the Minneapolis Police Conduct Oversight Commission. She told me that many judges, quote, don't want you to talk about race end quote, and they won't allow that kind of questioning. I asked Jay about the dichotomy between what's happening on the ground in Minneapolis and what happens in the courtroom. I have very little faith in the justice system, right, for obvious reasons. And so I think that, like, for me, it's, it's a matter of not looking to the justice system as, like, our only source of justice in this case. Like, I guess it's not it's not even about like you know being comfortable like however the outcome comes out I actually think it's the opposite of like however the outcome is like this murder did happen because of racism and this murder um did happen because of a corrupt system that treats black life as expendable and so to me, like the takeaway is always that we have to fight for gains within the system for sure, but we also have to be um, organizing to dismantle it um, and organizing outside of it. So like whether or not Derek Chauvin actually faces consequences I wouldn't say is immaterial, but it's not, it's not the end of, of the line, I guess. Justice for Jamar has been active for years in advocating for a restructuring of the policing in Minneapolis through efforts like the creation of a CPAC or Civilian Police Accountability Council. This civilian council would have specific powers, like the hiring and firing of police officers, and it would serve as an independent check on police accountability in the city. And so I think people have to, I guess, prepare themselves for, like, you know, that moment 
if he gets acquitted preparing yourself for like okay like am I going to be kind of like paralyzed by how deeply unjust that is or am I going to allow it to like galvanize me and continue to fight for justice maybe in other ways or continue to fight for things like community control of the police like and like self-determinant policy um in our in our neighborhoods right now much of downtown south minneapolis and police precincts around the city are barricaded according to the star tribune minneapolis and hennepin county officials have reportedly spent at least one million dollars boarding up the city in preparation for the trial jay said the extra security isn't making them feel any safer but actually causing them anxiety. A few days after I interviewed Jay, protesters and activists gathered outside on the courthouse for the first day of the trial. Here's Ethan Quezada at the protest. Squeezed in between barricades and the walls of the U.S. Bank Plaza, Protesters gathered to prepare for the day of emotions and protest ahead of them. Tables with coffee, food, and merchandise line the sidewalk, and people with clipboards collecting signatures for petitions roam the street. The tension in the air was almost tangible, as all who participated were unsure of how the day would go. Early on in the morning, I spoke with Sam Martinez, an organizer with the Twin Cities Coalition for Justice for Jamar. Uh, Today, we're with a bunch of coalition groups to... um, talk about uh, prosecution for Derek Chauvin, who uh, murdered George Floyd along with a couple officers um, back almost almost going on a year ago. And so we want justice. Sam said the Twin Cities Coalition for Justice for Jamar and others plan to hold protests throughout the trial, a process which could take several weeks. They expressed that this is only the beginning of the demonstrations. They also said that while demonstrations that hold those in power are important, they acknowledge the necessity for a long-term strategy. Our long-term organizing strategy is community control of the police. Um, because we've seen, you know, some people have been involved in our organization for 20 years. And even before that, killer cops were never held accountable. After the protest, I spoke to roommates Bella Carpentier and Arnthi Jagraj, both of whom attended the demonstration. I'm Bella, I'm a freshman, and my major is, like right now I'm planning on double majoring in poli-sci and journalism and minoring in social justice. I'm Arthi, I'm a freshman of you, and I plan on double majoring in developmental psych and poli-sci. Both Bella and Arnthi describe being anxious in the moments leading up to the protest, citing the heavy law enforcement presence. At first, I thought that like once I was in the large group, then I would be like having feelings of like safety in numbers. Like they can't arrest us if there's like, I don't know how many actually showed up. I think it was actually a similar number to the November 4th protest. At the November 4th protest late last year, both Bella and Arnthi were arrested, processed and given plea deals contingent on not getting arrested again. They were then put into black armored cars and driven to an unknown location where Arnthi's relative picked them up. Yesterday's protest was definitely very nerve-wracking, especially because you could, like, see a lot of people with army uniforms with, like, massive, massive guns. Guns that should not be needed. In addition to heightened nerves, Arnthi expressed that Monday's protest was, for her, more emotional than past protests. 
And I remember like very vividly, I was sobbing. I was like standing in the crowd and I was like, damn, this really hurts. And I feel like for me, it's more frustration than anything else. Like, yes, I'm scared shitless. Like I'm a person of color and I'm going out to protest and I've already been arrested. And my plea deal literally depends on me not getting arrested again. But I feel like my problems are definitely not the worst in the community and I can definitely like manage them well enough to go out there. When asked about the trial, aren't the and Bell express concerns over jury selection? You'd think that because the video of the event exists and you think that'd be enough to charge them. But um, that's a very optimistic point of view. Yeah, when I heard the process that are like the questions that potential jurors are asked, like, do you support the Black Lives Matter movement? Or like, what do you think about the um, the video? I think. Rage. It, yeah, <laughs> pretty much. Like, if you're undecided on either of, those, uh, either of those things and you are a member of the jury, then I don't know. It's just scary to think of what the outcomes of the trial could be. It feels like it's already skewed, like it's already been decided based on the jury. The world is watching! The events that unfolded this Monday foreshadow a turbulent future, and there is still a plethora of protests planned for the remainder of the trial. Among the outcries of protesters, though careful words of attorneys, and the boom of the judge's gavel, one thing is certain. The world is watching. In other U news, university medical professionals are urging equitable vaccine distribution to address racial health disparities. Dinkytown organizations are offering haircuts and other resources to unhoused neighbors. And two new faces are challenging Ward 2 City Council incumbent Cam Gordon. We'll see you next week.